This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And welcome to a special Labor Day edition of the Business of Sports. Coming up, we're going to catch up with Ken Solomon. He's the president of the Tennis Channel. And so we want to talk a little bit about the world of tennis, guys. And just to set the scene, so this is Labor Day. This is the midpoint just past of the U.S. Open every year. And I have to say, most years, I would find myself on this day out at the tournament. And it would be, as the kids say, bumping. I mean, this is such a an amazing event for the city of New York and the world of tennis. I mean, the whole world converges in many ways. It's a rite of passage and, and such, and I know I'm overdoing it a little bit, it's a special time and a special place. Is that what the kids say nowadays? Bumping? <laughs> <laughs> Bumping. <laughs> yeah, it, you, you are definitely right, Jason. I mean, this, especially in New York, uh, this is the event for sporting events that people talk about. And, and, and it's, it's interesting. You, you have a town with uh, two baseball teams, two football teams, a bunch of hockey teams, an NBA team, and this is the event that everybody talks about and they want to be at. Don't no, sleep I on always... the nets there. Come on, two basketball teams, two yeah, basketball teams. Okay, yeah, the nets. <laughs> and, a, and a new coach, too. Yeah, that's You know what, that's true. Steve Nash, congratulations. I, I should say that, so it's uh, – and I apologize for ending my sentence on a preposition, but okay, but still, <laughs> no, but I mean, it, it really is. You're right. I mean, this is, this is something special and it's too bad fans aren't there. You know, and I wonder if it adds pressure or takes pressure off some of the players not having fans in yeah. the stands. Certainly if you are an underdog and you're that Cinderella story, you get the crowd on your side, and it just the momentum you can just feel. They want you to win every single point, and it's rooting for you rather than you know, rooting against uh, your opponent. And, and and I just wonder how many people feel less pressure because there's nobody in the seats, or sort of like uh, Tuka Rass used to say um, before he left uh, the NHL playoffs in the bubble, he said, eh, nobody in the stands, this just feels like a scrimmage. I just can't yeah. get motivated for it. I think that there is really something to that because having been at Ash for some big matches, I remember seeing a quarterfinals a few years ago, Serena versus Venus. I mean, it was electric. Nighttime tennis, you've got people just going nuts. New Yorkers, as all of us know, can get a little bit rowdy. And there seems to be sort of special license at the U.S. Tennis Open to kind of prove that point over and over again. And I think something's missing. I've been watching it a lot on TV. And, you know, they do have some piped-in noise. But when you're watching it, even on television, you can see that that something is missing. And also, 
there are some top players missing, especially uh, on the men's side. And so it's yeah. very, very different. And guys, it's also coming at a time where there are a number of issues beyond the pandemic, the leading issue of which is around social justice. And it's interesting, later on in the show, you're going to hear from Ken Solomon, and he reminds us about the history of tennis when it comes to standing up for what's right, whether that's Billie Jean King, whether it's Arthur Ashe, and so many more. And there is a next generation coming up, led by Naomi Osaka, one of the top players in the world. And recently, she brought to light one of the victims of violence whose name has not been talked about as much. That's Elijah McClain. Check out what she had to say. For me, I think when I heard about his story, it was very hurtful. I mean, they're all very hurtful, but just the fact, like, the character and the way that he was, um, and just to hear stories about him, um, for me, it was very sad. And I think that this was a bit different because no one can really paint the narrative that um, he was a bad guy because they had, you know, so many stories and so many, like, warm-hearted things um, to say about him. So, I don't know. I feel like... Mm -hmm. I still don't think his name is very put out there um, compared to like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor. So for me, um, today was very special in the way that I, I wanted to represent him very well. And that, of course, is Naomi Osaka. And Michael Barr, you brought that interview to our attention. What do you make of social justice when it comes to tennis? Well, she is right. Uh, Elijah McLean's name kind of slipped under the radar. And uh, you asked me about tennis and about what it means when another major sport is coming to the forefront uh, when it comes to uh, talking about racial injustice. And, and I think about when I heard that interview, the last words that McLean said, according to the body cam uh, from the police, and it was to the effect of, uh, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I wasn't trying to do that or anything. I just can't breathe correctly. And and then that was it. And I, I, I won't mention the other part of it because it really is sad. But uh, I, I that young man died. He was 23. He died August in, in 2019. So she brought the name to the forefront. And it does feel like, Lynchy, that – so many athletes across major sports, and it's a good reminder that it's not just basketball. It's not just other sports here and there. We have seen something profound happen in professional sports, and uh, it's something I don't think we're going to soon forget. No, and I think what's so impressive is like uh, that just that soundbite right there. You know, if Maybe two or three years ago, she may not have had the courage to speak right. out. Mm -hmm. But now, because some of the leaders uh, in major sports have come out and spoken, and then some teammates say, okay, if it's all right for him to do it, I guess it's all right for me to speak out too because I've been holding something in for quite some time, and I want to speak. And, and I've used this phrase a number of times. Uh, there's a difference between hearing what someone is saying and listening to what someone is saying. And I listened to every single word she just said. And Naomi Osaka, I think, notably 
has taken a leadership role of late. She was the one on that fateful day a couple weeks ago when the Milwaukee Bucks triggered an entire series of professional athletes standing down. It was Naomi Osaka who said, I'm not going to play. And that really helped catalyze Again, a very important moment. So tennis continues to be at the forefront of this, and tennis is the focus of today's Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're going to talk coming up with Ken Solomon. He's the president of the Tennis Channel. He's going to talk to us about the logistics of putting on a broadcast amidst this pandemic and also about those issues of social justice that have always been at the core of this sport. So stay tuned for that conversation with Ken Solomon, the president of the Tennis Channel. I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. You can follow me on Twitter, Michael Barr, at Big Bar Sports. And catch our Apple podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Happy Labor Day, everybody. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Welcome to a special Labor Day edition of the Business of Sports. Over the next hour, we're going to explore the big money issues in the world of tennis with Ken Solomon, the president of the Tennis Channel. Ken, really good to have you here. I so wish that I was spending this Labor Day trying to chase you through the compound, the complex, the (laughs) place where it all happens in Queens. I mean, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? What a year. It it is. It's like an obstacle course most of the time. I mean, you have to go into training just to duplicate what we're normally doing. We cover more miles than the players, I think, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So tell us, I mean, to start, like, how have you been? How's the run-up to all of this been for you and your team? Yeah, well, the good news is someone said in in early March when Indian Wells was canceled uh, in the course of 24 hours, and I think really in a way started this all off. It was, you know, the first week in March, March 8th to be exact, and it was a sort of a 24-hour decision, and the world was shocked. Someone said, well, you guys are built for this, and we are, because tennis always throws curveballs at you, whether it's massive heat or political unrest or, or you know, rain delays. Whatever it is, there's always something. And um, so we are built to build the suit to fit. This one's been a little crazy. But the run-up has been, you know, for the most part, um, pretty good. We've ridden the Bronco and just tried to take care of the tennis fans and the tennis world and also just tell stories over the course of the whole thing. We stayed on live all the way through. um, But really from right after that moment through May and then starting in May, you know, we started the reopen tour. There were these regional events with mm-hmm. a good portion of the folks that are playing in the open, just playing in their regional areas, whether it was in Europe or, or in the U.S. On the, on the sort of eastern or western coast. We, had, we started May 1st in West Palm Beach, but we also had stuff going on in Germany and then California and uh, all over Europe. And, you know, it went off pretty much without a hitch, and we were able to from May through really Lexington, keep people entertained with uh, top flight tennis. So we've been running the yeah. drills, getting ready for uh, for the Open. 
Never mind of riding a Bronco, you guys have been riding a bull and a mean one during the COVID nineteen <laughs> yeah, crisis. Oh my goodness, I I I, I can't. the The good thing about this in tennis and maybe for other sports as well, as long as you have a product, as long as you have them out there on the court playing, I'm very sorry that there aren't any fans in the stands, but at least you have a product to show. That's right, and uh, you know tennis's whole. Ilk and gestalt, as some people say, is that it's your solitary, right? It's what we talk about when we're covering what's going on in someone's head and how they handle it. And you've got a net between you and your competitor, and the protocols have held up pretty much across the world. So this is, you know, people were wondering what would happen, and it was much more related to travel and getting to the event um, than actually engineering the event. And obviously, um, you guys have talked about it, but the USTA has done a fantastic job with protocols. They're serious. The players are serious. They've seen once or twice what happens with a slip-up. So we got that out of the way in the dress rehearsal. And, you know, it's, it's different, but it's always different. I remember Jimmy Connor sitting in the booth with us the first year we were doing this in 2009, where we had real full live coverage and saying, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on out there because both players have to deal with it, whether it's swirling wind on ash or, or again, rain delays or any of the other obstacles. It's the same for both players, and that's what tennis is about. Ken, take me through the logistics now as opposed to a normal year. How many people are allowed on site? And I know you have a studio show coming out of Los Angeles. Yeah, well, the good news is that, again, we're used to sort of producing from all over the world simultaneously with different um, arrangements, whether it's, you know, normally we'd have hundreds of people on the ground. You're going to hold, hold on to your horses. We've got one. So we've got the best announcers in the, in the you know, I think, a little chauvinistic, but Jim Currier, Martina Navratilova, Lindsey Davenport, plus all of our, you know, Paul Anacone, John Wertheim, they're all – Many in California at our big home studio um, where matches are coming in in live real time. And then we've got a couple at home. Martina's doing it from home, and and, uh, and actually Lindsay's out in L.A. as well. Uh, so we've got actually one person on the ground. But the beauty is the shots are the same coming out of the camera. And whether it's going to a truck on the grounds or whether it's going in real time to our metaphoric truck, to our master control or, to, sorry, to our control room in L.A., actually doesn't make much of a difference anymore. Time and space are kind of taken out of the equation. So it's not the same as being there. It's, cool. it's not the same to get that kinetic feel. But for, in terms of a product and for the customer, you know, it's, it's, it's first class and it's pretty seamless. There's not much of a difference. Right. We're going to continue our conversation with Ken Solomon, president of the Tennis Channel. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Michael Barr, and you can follow me at Big Bar Sports. We're here every week at this time. Catch our Apple podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, we're delighted to be speaking with Ken Solomon, president of the Tennis Channel. So I have to ask you, Ken, from a business perspective, the Open 
is kind of a big deal for you. I have seen you, as I joked at the top of the show, in action. You are a whirling dervish, to say the least, because you've got a broadcast going on, but you're also doing a huge amount of business. It's kind of the Super Bowl for you, right? It really is. I mean, you know, people forget that the, the, the open for someone like us is, I'm not sure there is anyone quite like us who's dedicated on all platforms all the time to the sport, but everyone's there. You know, it, it's a place where the world comes together for really three weeks a year. Um, and so you're in the center of the universe, and we've kind of got a virtual bubble going, not quite literally the way we do now, um, whenever the Open is on. So it, 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 it's, it's huge. All the stakeholders in the game are there, all the tournaments from all over the world. Really, the tennis royalty, the legends are there very often with the International Tennis Hall of Fame. And so, you know, you don't have to go any further than Flushing and sometimes Manhattan to find the entire sport. Well, one thing that is great for you guys, you guys went global in May. You guys are in Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Bug Tussle, Tennessee. I made that one up. But you guys (laughs) are all over the place, and it's a great thing for you guys. Well, yes. It's a, thanks, Mike. It, it's, um, we have for a long time been asked, when are you going to do this internationally? Because the, the real thing that we were able to do for the sport and for the fan and, and all those associated is to bring it to one destination. Because tennis is a many-splendored kind of octopus of a sport, right? You've got multiple tours, multiple events going on at the same time all over the world, and it's hard to follow. And, you know, the idea of having a central repository where the best matches information, hopefully the original product that we're creating, whether it's movies like Strokes of Genius or whether it's these, you know, great pieces on what's happening in the sport, tennis magazine, all are in one place. And so that you can find out the continuum and the the, the whole patchwork of the sport that's going on all over the world in one place otherwise you're chasing it around and that made sense not just here but around the world little harder to put together around the world and so it's taken us a while we launched in in uh in uh, germany with tennis channel international deutschland which is sort of the prototype uh for what we plan on doing around the world and the idea is that it's as if that channel was made there so for the region, now have the German version of Tennis Channel, and each one will be tailor-fit for that region. And it will open to wherever you are when you become a, a, a subscriber, and it's a very low entry fee. We work with um, the, the, the indigenous um, governing bodies, so the equivalent of the USTA, in this case, did, you know, Tennis Deutschland, and... Um, and, and and they instantly, the fans instantly know where to go. And it has been going great, better than we expected. I mean, the, the, the pandemic didn't slow us down. In fact, as you guys well know, because you've been doing so well, I've been looking at the numbers, but, uh, the traffic has been bigger than probably we expected. It came out with a bullet. We've had thousands of people sign up, and they are now monthly subscribers. And, you know, then we push to the local, whatever's going on that we don't have, we tell them. So it's really been spectacular, and it's a model that will, like us here, bring the all the different stakeholders in the tennis world together who have content to share into one place. And that's just kind of in a crazy 
mixed up media world with unlimited choices is a very good thing, just like they know to go to Bloomberg for all of their, uh, you know, all the information, whether it's sports <laughs> information or, or money <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, how to manage, how to, you know, what's going on on Wall Street. Ken, when, when all the other sports had their restart, when the PGA golf started up, when the basketball and hockey and baseball started up, the uh, out of, just out of curiosity or just of being denied for so long, uh, the interest and the ratings were pretty much uh, off the chart just to start. Are you finding the same thing now with your restart in tennis? Yes, although, again, we've had sort of uh, – we, we were blessed and lucky enough to have almost several different restarts, right, not going off just with a live show with – you know, the top players in the world calling in, which isn't the same as coverage. But then starting the coverage in May and 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 building back from, you know, initially a four-man and then a four-female competitor sort of round-robin where we the protocols were extraordinarily tight because no one knew what we were doing. Um, up through Charleston, which was really another bellwether where all of a sudden, boom, we were doing bigger numbers with the Charleston event that we did there uh, with 16 top female competitors, including I think four Grand Slam winners. Um, we were doing bigger numbers than we did last year with the regular tour. So we, we were able to prime the pump and keep the fans excited. It was much more of a smooth ramp than just a zero to 60. And by the time we got to Lexington, which was the first sanctioned event, uh, on U.S. soil, although we were doing Palermo and, 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 and all of the WTA and ATP events around the world. When we hit Lexington and we had Venus, Serena, Coco, and, and you know, all the top players, female players, many, most of them, many of them, um, we, you know, the numbers really blew up in Lexington and they've been, you know, super, super strong through Cincinnati in Flushing. And now, of course, at the Open. The demand, the pent up demand, is, has has absolutely created a, a tidal wave, and you know we've come. You know, you've got to credit again the USTA and the entire tennis world for being ready to do this where people expected it coming into this uh, you know this holiday weekend and kind of feeling like home, and it's really allowed the sport to open up to full bloom very very quickly. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Ken Solomon, president of the Tennis Channel. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCPB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, talking to the biggest names in sports. Today, it's a special edition, a Labor Day edition, and we're talking with Ken Solomon, the president of the Tennis Channel. So, Ken, I have to ask you, pandemic notwithstanding, this summer has been very different for some other reasons, some serious reasons related to social justice. How have you taken that on, especially as tennis players have really stepped to the fore, as so many other athletes have, to express their views and express themselves in a way that maybe they hadn't before? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, It is, you know, if you look, we we consider ourselves a mission-based brand. To begin with, we sort of mirror the sport and the lineage and history of tennis is one where you've always had social leadership that goes far outside the lines. Um, Obviously, Billie Jean King, Arthur Ashe, Althea Gibson, so many more, Whirlwind Johnson. It's a longer list than most people know. 
Um, and even the breakthroughs with the barnstormers in terms of the quality uh, of allowing professional players to be paid and the, and the battles that they had to fight. We made a film about that that Robert Redford narrated, um, which is a uniquely sort of tennis-based story. In this particular case, uh, we have been there every single day live, as we discussed earlier. And so as you saw the movement for, you know, racial equality, for you know, Black Lives Matter, for, uh, you know, against injustice of all sorts, you, you naturally saw players step into that role. Obviously, some of the ones that have been most visible were Coco in Delray Beach and on a continuing basis. Um, and you look at her and her sort of aware, situational awareness of the world at such a young age, it's, it's remarkable. Right next to her, Naomi Osaka, um, stepping not just uh, into the winner's circle, you know, at the Open, um, but now really being someone who has obviously made a huge impact, uh, you know, culminating just the last week with, uh, you know, her decision to, to stand down for the semifinals in Cincinnati and then having the entire sport back her up and follow it. It's Francis Tiafo um, with his rackets down, you know, stand up video. And, and it's just, it has been, and those are just several. So we couldn't be more proud to be right there amplifying and portraying those stories. People know where to go. And when we get them, if other places in the world want that, uh, the, the full context, we're there. The cover of Tennis Magazine, um, which is our sister publication, uh, Ed McGrogan, the publisher, is the cover is, is, a, is, a, is a fist, a female fist, because tennis has also always been about gender uh, neutrality and gender equality. Um, some people think it's Serena, so it happens to be Coco's fist, right? And mm. it's, a, it's a very powerful moment. And the issue is dedicated to the issues of, of the tennis really espouses, right, about fairness overall. And, you know, again, you don't have to look any further than this tournament named for Billie Jean King on the grounds in Arthur Ashe Stadium and the, the great statue of Althea Gibson that was unveiled last year to say that these young players have naturally stepped into the leadership position of carrying that torch. And there's real social change going on, and they are at the forefront. And their courage on the court and the way that they conduct themselves naturally lends themselves to doing what they believe is right off the court. And uh, we couldn't be more proud and we're right behind them, uh, if not trying to help lead in bringing those stories. It, it's all about what tennis has always been about, not just here, but all over the world. I don't want to expand more about the younger players versus the older players. And Right now, we're in a pocket. We know who Naomi Osaka is now, and we know Coco Golf. We know those players. So you have a pocket now where you have a, a wider demographic of an audience where, okay, we know the Serena, we, we know the Williams sisters, and we know the younger ones, and now you have that confluence coming together to watch yeah. tennis. Same thing on the men's side. You know, you're seeing this great crop of young players, and even younger in some cases. You know, and Francis still pretty much a kid, right? But obviously on the men's side, up and down the line, the Zaveras and the Tsitsipasas and the teams, um, 
you know, right up to these majors, giving the the big three or four guys a, a, a real run over the last several years. And it's a real passing of the torch. Um, it's, it's wonderful. And, you know, guys, it can happen so quickly. It, it was one match, I would contend, uh, at Wimbledon where Coco Goff stepped as a, you know, after winning, after being a wild card into the, you know, the qualies at Wimbledon at the All England Club last year. And then winning that and having, of all things, her first match against Venus Williams. And when she beat Venus, in that first round match at, at the All England Club, she was an instantaneous worldwide superstar at 15. She then won two more rounds and almost went. I was there on center court, front row. She was down a set and two breaks and came back, won the second set, and won the third set in a nail biter. And by the end of that tournament, now here is. You know, people are seeing a superstar being born. I'm looking at her folks and seeing them saying, that's my ninth grader. i got to make sure she's in bed by 10. You know, <laughs> these are the stories that make tennis so special. And, you know, it, it harkens back to our own Tracy Austin, you know, at the tender young age, taking on Chrissy and Martina at the time and Billy. And, and um, you know, that is the lineage of this game. And every time you think you got to be, you know, in your 30s now because you have to be a more complete player and we're seeing – you know, the emergence of players into the top, top ranks later, you're also seeing these great young players, um, you know, break through young as well. So it's that excitement, that unpredictability. It's the individuality and the different ways that they do it, both from within this country and from all over the world that make it so, you know, fabulously exciting when you get to somewhere like Flushing and you get to the Open and why it's so great that we're able to have the events, it's, it's so important. It goes far beyond commerce. There's something special that happens here. The world comes together, and the personalities and the signatures of these players are written all over the lines on that court. Well, Ken Solomon, we're going to have to leave it there. So great to catch up with you. Thank you so much. It's a busy time, a virtually busy time, a little bit different from years past when, as I said at the top of the show, we would uh, be really happy to run into each other uh, there as you were doing your thing. Uh, great to hear your voice. Glad to hear you're well. And as you said, you know, doing some really important work and tennis, as I'm so glad you pointed out, has really been at the core of so many of these social issues that happily and fortunately, if it leads to real change, we are talking about right now. Ken Solomon, thank you. Jason, appreciate it. Michael, Mike, Jason, great to be with you guys. I love keeping up and making sure that, uh, you know, that that I'm looking at the business of the sport right with you. So we'll, we'll be back soon. Let us know what you need. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. So what a different year for Ken Solomon, obviously, guys. I mean, I alluded to it in the conversation with him. I mean, this guy is, I think I use this term, a whirling dervish. He and I would be texting each other uh, when we were there running around, Ash running around the entire uh, complex there. So much usually gets done. And a reminder that it's a very different world when it comes to tennis and professional sports. Here, This is the world we're living in, Michael Barr. Yes, and, and, you know, it, during that interview, uh, there was a moment, uh, I'm not going to lie, where my mind started to wander a little bit, and I went back to when I was a kid watching Billie Jean King and yeah. the famous match against Bobby Riggs, 1973, in the Astrodome, and here's Howard Cosell, and, and, and all this is coming out. And I'm going to show you how 
important that match was. My mom and dad, they didn't know boo about tennis. But all of a sudden, here's the Motorola, the color TV that looked like furniture is all tuned up, and and they're watching this, and, and I'm I'm riveted on that. And mm-hmm. it, this is where the history of sports with tennis uh, continues, and, and it's just great to talk to Ken about the history of the sport. You know, since this is Labor Day Monday and we won't have a number of the week until Thursday, I'm going to throw a number out that uh, captured my attention when we had, did the interview, the number one. When I said, how many people do you have at the staff uh, reduction uh, on the ground at the U.S. Open? And he said, we have one person on the ground, (laughs) which is amazing. They're putting out quality product, a quality show, day after day, night after night, with one person at the U.S. Open, which is a bad harbinger for the future, especially if they can put a quality product on. And it's it's happening industry-wide, not just in sports, but everywhere. People are finding out they can do the same with less, and that's unfortunate. Well, here's hoping that next Labor Day, everybody is back on those grounds, and Ken Solomon and his team are putting on a great broadcast on the ground because it's a very, very special place. We're grateful to him for joining us. You've been listening to a special edition of the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Happy Labor Day, everyone. We are here every week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on our podcast, every weekend on the radio. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. Happy Labor Day, everyone. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. Yo, enjoy the Labor Day, everybody. Social distancing if you're out at a barbecue. Go ahead. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world.